0: Welcome you again to our worship service. And we thank you all for making that transition from Bell Intermediate to Los Alamitos. Uh, you're all here, and we're grateful that you all made it. And we do again want to thank the admin team, the A team of our church, for making this a smooth transition. And it is a joy to worship Christ together. Um, that, those pictures were just so amazing, weren't they? Just the pictures of check on believers being baptized in the Lord and coming to faith in Christ and to know that that is the fruit of years and years of hard labor, uh, first with Peter and Sonia Smith and then now with Marcus and Amy Denny and for them pouring out their hearts and their lives to in this very difficult field. And to see the fruit after all these years is just tremendous. It is just such an encouragement and such a blessing to see those pictures And we just trust in the Lord that he's going to continue that work even this summer through our Czech team. Let us pray for our team. They are leaving this Wednesday. Let us continue just as uh, Elder Bob prayed for them. Let uh, his prayers be echoed in our own hearts this week and the weeks to come. For they will be continuing to labor uh, for the sake of the gospel. And just what an awesome opportunity that is. So please uh, continue to pray. And we will be having a special offering for the Czech Team, directly after uh, this message, will be uh, singing our response song and having a special offering for the Czech team. So we thank you in advance for your support for this ministry. Well, um, Mina and I, uh, over the last 15 years, we have moved approximately every two years. So we have lived all around Southern California. And if you have lived anywhere in Southern California, you have, we have probably lived right next to you because uh, we have been constantly on the move in God's sovereignty. And every time we move, it's just a, an opportunity to look back and to thank the Lord for his grace to us and his faithfulness and also to trust him for his grace that he is with us. Just as Israel was constantly in the move in the wilderness and God was with them in a pillar of fire and a, and a cloud, he, his presence was with them. He led them. Uh, so God has been faithful to us as a family and God has being faithful to us As a church. And so we have moved, but our priorities remain the same. We are still committed to preaching and teaching the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please open them to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1. And I want to read in entirety the prayer of Paul in Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, because it is one long sentence in the Greek. It is one long prayer of Paul in which he's praying for the church and he's asking the Lord to do a work in the church at Ephesus. And so I'd like for us to read for our understanding the entire prayer once again, Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 15. This is the prayer of Paul. He says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, if I were to ask you this morning to make a list of the top three things you feel your church needs, what would be the things that you would put on that list? What would you say are the top three things that Cornerstone Bible Church needs today in 2012 in order to be a good church? Maybe for some of us, we would say, well, what we need, obviously, Dan, is a permanent location. We need a building. We need a place to reside so we don't have to always be on the move, so the setup team can get a break. I mean, that is what Cornerstone Bible Church needs. Or maybe some of you have said to me, Dan, my care group's too big. What we really need as a church is more care group leaders, and we need to split the care groups, and we need to have more intimate fellowship in more intimate settings, and that is what Cornerstone Bible Church needs. Or maybe some of you would say what we need as a church is more leaders, more elders. What we need for God to do is to give us more uh, qualified leaders in the church so that the church ministry could continue to thrive and to expand. And all of those things are very good and noble things to pursue and to pray for. But what I want you to see is that when Paul prayed for the church and when he saw the church at Ephesus, none of those things were what was really on his heart. Paul is looking at the church at Ephesus and he's pouring out his heart to the Lord because he sees that they have a great spiritual need and he's asking the Lord to meet that need. And what he's saying in this prayer is not, Lord, give the church at Ephesus a permanent location or give the church at Ephesus better organization or give the church at Ephesus uh, resolve their problems and make their lives good. Those are none of those things. Or what is on Paul's heart as he pours out his heart in prayer for the church. What is on Paul's heart as he prays for the church is he's praying for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is praying for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is on his knees praying for the church, and he is saying this is the greatest thing that the church at Ephesus needs. This is what they need. They need the ministry of the spirit. And I told you two weeks ago that my entire thrust of handling this passage has been built around the interpretation of verse 17. The word pneuma, spirit here, can be translated with a small s spirit or a big s spirit. And I prefer the translation of a big s spirit because that is the context in which Paul is writing. Paul has already used the word pneuma in verse 13 to refer to the Holy Spirit of God so it is most natural to take verse 17. 17 as another reference to the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul is praying in this prayer in verses 15 to 23 is he's praying that the church at Ephesus experience more of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what I say to you this morning and what I'll say to my own heart this morning is that that is the greatest need of our church. We don't need better organization, even though organization is good. We don't need better structures for ministry, even though those things are fine in and of themselves. What we need as a church is if we are going to glorify God, is we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And if that is not your greatest prayer for Cornerstone Bible Church, then may I say that you need to reorient your hearts to Paul's prayer in this text. Because Paul looks at the church and he says, I have a passion that you experience more of the Holy Spirit in your life. And for some of you, this is just something kind of theoretical. Some, for some of you, you're saying, Dan, I mean, that's nice, but it's just not real to me. I mean, it's nice, I have my theology right of the Holy Spirit, I know that he is the third person of the Trinity, I know that he's fully God, I know that he's with us, I know that he's our comforter, our counselor, and our keeper, but I'm just not experiencing his ministry on a daily basis. I'm just going through life, and I, I don't, I, it's been a long time, Dan, since I've really sensed the Holy Spirit's leading in my life and that is why I would say that if you are a Christian today that you need to pray the prayer of Paul that is in this passage. You need to pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You need to pray for the spirit of wisdom and of a revelation. You need to pray that the Holy Spirit would do work in your heart because God gives the ministry of the Holy Spirit to people who pray. You know, Paul was the one who said that the Holy Spirit has come to indwell our lives. Paul is the one who said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul is the one who say that we have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and still in this passage he is praying for the Spirit. He's asking God, he is on his knees. The Father of glory, would you grant the church at Ephesus to experience the ministry of your Holy Spirit? So I'll say to you this morning that if you're listening to this message and if you're saying, Dan, I don't understand. This doesn't connect with me. I mean, I get it in my head, but it's not real life in my heart. Then Christian, dear brother and sister, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray along the priorities of what Paul has said in this text. Don't walk out of this room and just say, well, I didn't get it. I mean, I know Dan was kind of passionate about this and he wanted us to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but I just don't get it. It's not real life for me, and so I'll just go on and eat lunch and go on with my life. No, don't do that. If this is not real for you, if this is not your experience in life, If you don't feel led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, if you're not walking by the Spirit, if you don't understand the Spirit's influence and His power in your life, then your response to this message needs to be, dear brother and sister, you need to go and be alone with God and you need to ask God, you need to beg Him with the same prayer that Paul prays in this text. Lord, grant me the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Come and fill my life with his influence and his power. Lord, I want to walk by the Spirit. Lord, this has to be real. You need to get alone with God. You need to ask him to do a work in your heart. Now, what we looked in this text is we saw that Paul has a very specific ministry of the Holy Spirit in mind as he prays for the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. He's not praying just in general, just in a in kind of nebulous way for the Holy Spirit just to come and to people to feel things. No, he's pr- praying for a very specific ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that ministry is found in verse 18, where he says, I'm praying that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, may give you the biggest spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And here's the ministry that the Holy Spirit does, verse 18 Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. To put it in simple terms, what the Holy Spirit does when He comes and He ministers to our hearts and lives is He gives us the ministry of illumination. He gives us the ministry of illumination. And what the ministry of illumination is simply this the Holy Spirit comes. And he, photizo is the Greek word in this text. He comes and floods our hearts with spiritual light so that the things that are contained in the word of God, they become real and precious and weighty to us. He turns on the light so that we see these truths. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, You know experientially what I'm talking about. You know that in your heart there are times when you learn the word, and yeah, you can say the verses and you can quote the verses in FOF, and you've memorized scripture and you can talk theology, but those truths, they're just not real in your heart. They haven't come into your heart in such a way that they transformed your affections and they transformed your how you think about things and they transformed your perspective in life. They're just not real to your hearts. The the lights haven't been turned on. Yeah, you you know them in your head just as a way that a non-Christian would know them. I mean, non-Christians study the Bible, and they can quote Scripture, and they can talk theology, and you know those truths just as well as a non-Christian does, but you don't know them in a way that is taught by the Spirit. And you know experientially what I'm talking about, that there are times when you are sitting under the teaching of God's word, or there are times when you are just opening the Bible for yourself and the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart where he turns the lights on and you get it. You're like, this is so amazing. How come I never saw this? It was here all the time. I mean, I read it over and over again, but I just never saw this. It's amazing. And he floods your heart with spiritual light. He enlightens the eyes of your mind. AND YOU COME AWAY TRANSFORMED, YOU COME AWAY BLESSED, YOU COME AWAY ENCOURAGED, BECAUSE THE HOLY SPIRIT HAS DONE THE MINISTRY OF ILLUMINATION IN YOUR HEART. AND THAT IS WHAT PAUL IS PRAYING FOR IN THIS PRAYER. HE'S PRAYING FOR THE MINISTRY OF ILLUMINATION. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would do a work in this church at Ephesus so that their hearts would be open, that the truths that are contained in the word of God, that the work of Christ done on their behalf would, the lights would go on, that they would see these truths with the eyes of their hearts. You know, there is physical perception and there is spiritual perception. There is spiritual perception where you can see these truths. I've studied, I've read about heaven for, for, for years. I mean, I knew these truths in the Bible, but there was a point in my life where the Holy Spirit did a work where he, he kind of just turned the lights on in my heart where I said, the truths of heaven, they seem real to me. I mean, I'm really going there. I'm really gonna be with Jesus. When I die, I'm gonna open my eyes and see his face. And there was a point where the Holy Spirit turned on the lights. And if you're a Christian, you know that that there are times in your life where there are just truths in the Word where you read it for yourself and the Holy Spirit, He opens the eyes of your heart and He teaches you these things in a way that cannot be taught by a non-Christian. That is the prayer of Paul in this text. And that is our greatest need as a church. Our greatest need as a church is that we open the word of God and that the Holy, we don't just sit under biblical teaching. We don't just hear biblical things, but we're praying, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of my heart because I want to see these things. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I want to be different. I don't want to just read the Bible, Lord, in the morning every, every day and just close my Bible and go on with my life. No, Lord, I want you to change and impact my heart through the ministry of the Spirit. That is the work that Paul is praying for and is such an essential work In our lives, John Calvin said this of the Holy Spirit's illumination. He said, For illumined by the Spirit, the soul receives, as it were, new eyes for the contemplation of heavenly mysteries. The soul receives a sense of splendor of which it was never before dazzled. And the human intellect irradiated by the light of the Holy Spirit then begins to relish those things which pertain to the kingdom of God for which before it had not the smallest taste. When is the last time you opened your Bible and the Holy Spirit did this work of illumination in your heart? Where it wasn't just merely that your eyes flitted over the page, but he gave you eyes to see the glories of these mysteries. And what the Holy Spirit does in his work of illumination is he gives us a sense, a taste of the glory of these truths. Jonathan Edwards said this of the Ministry of Illumination. He said, the Holy Spirit imparts a true sense of the divine and superlative excellency of the things. He says, the Holy Spirit, when you read the word of God, will impact your heart in such a way that you have a sense of these things. You don't just know these things, but you feel these things. You you feel terror at the horrors of hell. And of the judgment of God that is to come. You feel wonders at the glories of heaven. And of eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. You are broken before the cross. And Christ's love for you. That he died on the cross to save you from your sins. See, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is praying that the church experience those things. I want you to know that my prayer for you as a pastor, that all of your problems will go away overnight. I mean, I do pray that for you, as I pray for you individually. I do pray for your problems. I pray that the Lord would resolve them. I do pray that your circumstances will get better. I do pray that your circumstances would improve. I do pray those things for you as a pastor, but that is not my greatest prayer for you as a pastor. My greatest prayer for you as a pastor is that every time you open the Word of God, and every time you sit under the teaching of God's Word, and every time you go to a Bible study, or every time you hear, hear a sermon on MP3 or on the radio, any time that you memorize Scripture, the Holy Spirit would take that truth and just so impact your heart. He would open the eyes of your heart so that spiritually you are impacted, changed, and transformed by what you hear. And we reason why we need this prayer. It's because, brothers and sisters, we, we are so spiritually dull. We are so spiritually dull that it is possible for us to open our Bibles, to sit under biblical teaching, to go to Bible studies week after week and not be spiritually transformed. That is how spiritually dull we are. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit. Are you coming every time you listen to the Word of God with a dependence on the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life? Are you coming every time you read your Bible and asking the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart? Are you desperate for the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Are you saying, If the Holy Spirit doesn't work in my heart, then I'm not going to grow. I'm just going to stagnate. I'm just going to be the same tomorrow, the same I am today. And Lord, I don't want to be the same tomorrow as I am today. Lord, I want to change and experience the blessings of sanctification. If you are serious about spiritual growth and you are serious about being transformed by the Word, then you need to pray the prayer of Paul that is in this text. Lord. Give us the ministry of the Holy Spirit to illumine the eyes of our hearts to see spiritual reality. Now, there are three specific things that Paul prays for in this text for the church at Ephesus to truly see and to taste of. And he mentions them in verses 18 to 23. He says, first of all, I want the Holy Spirit... To illumine the eyes of your hearts, so that verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Paul is saying, "Christian, you have a hope." It is the hope in the future, it is the hope of glorification. It is the hope of being with Christ. It is the hope of being made like Christ. You have a hope that is in the future, but the reason why you are discouraged and defeated is that hope in the future has not become real to your heart. You're not living in the light of your future hope. Because if you saw the future glory that awaited you in Christ, it would give perspective to all the affairs of everyday life. I was listening to a teacher this week who was talking about how his his daughter is struggling with a, a lifelong illness. And he was saying, every time I get discouraged about dealing with this illness in her life, I think about how heaven is going to be forever. And if heaven is forever, then I can endure for a little while. And it just gives perspective to how I view my circumstances. You see, the reason why we're discouraged, the reason we get defeated, the reason why we get so upset about what's going on in our life is that the hope to which God has called us in Christ, our eyes are, are dull. Our hearts are dull to this great spiritual reality. If you knew the hope that awaits us in the future. If you knew the pleasures of God that will be with us forevermore. If you lived your life in light of the soon and coming return of Jesus Christ to this earth. And if that truth was illumined to your heart, it would give perspective to everything. It would give perspective to everything. This week I was reading of the illustration in John Bunyan's work, The Pilgrim's Progress, and I find many illustrations there because it's just such an apt analogy for the Christian life. The story goes that Christian was on his road to the celestial city, and he was walking the narrow road with his companion, Hope. And he came upon a great giant whose name was Despair. And Despair found him. And he clutched him and he took Christian and Hope and he threw him into the dungeon, a dungeon called Doubting Castle. And to make things worse, after the giant came into their life, the giant's wife comes and she starts to beat upon Christian and hope. Now, it's one thing to be thrown in prison by a giant named Despair. It's another thing to be assaulted by his wife. And she comes and beats upon them until they begin to truly despair of life. And Christian actually says, It is better for me to die. Luckily, or in God's providence, God gave to Christian. A companion whose name was Hope. And Hope says to Christian, as Christian is laying there defeated and as Christian is about to despair of life, Hope says to Christian, Let us consider the Lord of the country. Christian, there's hope. There's hope beyond this dungeon. There's hope beyond our present circumstances. Let us fix our eyes on the hope that we have. And what Paul is saying in verse 18 is I want you to fix your eyes on the hope to which God has called you. And I want the Holy Spirit to illumine this truth to your heart. The second thing that Paul prays for the Ephesians to experience is the illumination of verse 18, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, a number of years ago, I I spent five weeks doing messages on heaven, and I won't repeat those, but what I'll say is that when Paul is referring here to what are the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints, he is asking the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts so that all the things that the Bible says about heaven become real to us. In a way that transforms our lives. Have you read the scriptures which speak about heaven? Have you read them with the eyes of faith that truly see? Have you read them in a way that transforms your perspective, that changes the way that you view what's going on in your life today? Have you read them in a way where you can truly say this morning that this world is not my home and that you can take all that's going on in this world? Have you read them in a way where the Holy Spirit has flooded your heart with spiritual light? I pray that you could read those chapters on heaven in that way. Just read the last two chapters chapters in the entire Bible. If you just read those two chapters, and if the Holy Spirit could illumine your heart to understand these things, that one day we will walk in the new Jerusalem, and one day we'll walk in the new heavens and the new earth, and one day there will be no longer any tear or sorrow or any pain. We will worship Christ forever and ever. If Oh, if the Holy Spirit could just open your eyes and you would see these things, you would have strength and you would have joy to endure any circumstance in life. Because you would see with the eyes of your heart the glories, the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints. So the first thing Paul says I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will illumine your hope. The second thing he says, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will illumine your riches of the glorious inheritance. And then, thirdly, finally, Paul says, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would show you what is, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Now, let me just let you know that I struggle with this text all week. In fact, I, I told the Lord, Lord, I don't know how to preach from this text because I believe that the Holy Spirit has given me some illumination when it comes to my future hope. I mean, by God's grace, there's it's come a point, there came a time in my Christian life where the Lord just was teaching me these things, that my hope is in the future, that my home is in heaven, and, and all those things. And I believe that by God's grace, God has given me some illumination when it comes to what is the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints. It may be very small, but there's some illumination. But I looked at verse 19, and I wrestled with this this week, and I, I felt that in my spiritual walk, in my life as a Christian, I just haven't had much illumination when it comes to spiritual power. I mean, I I read these things and and yeah, I see it in the text and I know that it's true and I know that it's it's real. I believe in the word of God, but for whatever reason, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit has illumined this truth to my heart in such a way that that it's real to me. I'm living by the immeasurable power of God that is working in my life even as we speak. I mean, I just asked the Lord, you know, Lord, I'm looking at verse 19 and I just feel a disconnect here. You know, I I don't feel powerful. I don't feel that your power is working in my life. I don't feel like a powerful person. In fact, Lord, I feel very weak and very small. Sometimes I feel like a failure as a Christian because of my many sins, my many failures. Many times I look at the challenges that are ahead of me and I feel overwhelmed. And I feel that my faith is very small. Lord, I don't feel powerful. I don't feel spiritual power. My kids don't look at me at the breakfast table and say, wow, Dan's so powerful today. There's power coursing through him. No, they're just, he's an ordinary dad. Lord, it's a disconnect here. I don't feel that this this verse is real in my life. I mean, the immeasurable greatness of your power working in and through my life for your glory. I, I mean, I know it's true. But is it real? Is this a truth that is shaping the way that I live? And what God was teaching me as I wrestled with this text is Dan, that is exactly why you need to pray. That is exactly why Paul prayed. Paul was praying for the church not because they already felt that God's power was real in their life. No, he was praying for the church because he knew that they were dull and they were hard-hearted and their eyes were blind and that they needed to see the glorious power that was working in and through the church. And what God was teaching me as I looked at this text is, Dan, that is exactly why you need to pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. If you're like me today, And you're looking at verse 19. And you're looking at the four, there are four synonyms here of the word power. He's talking about power and might and greatness and the working, the energeia of God's great might. And you're saying, look, I know that that's the word of God, but I don't sense that that's a reality in my life. What God would say to you is, that is why this prayer is here that is why you need to pray because that's not a reality in your life because that's not a truth that transforms the way you live and your eyes need to be opened this is not fairy tale brothers and sisters this is not a pep talk this is not nice flowery sentiment that i'm trying to use to just pump you up no It is reality. It is reality. It is reality the immeasurable power of God is working in each and every believer in Christ. It is reality that the great might of God's power is working in your life and in my life this morning. It is reality that God's power is with you For your circumstances. It is reality that God's power is greater than your circumstances. It is reality that the power of God working in us is greater than any trial or any circumstance that we will ever face. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6 that I believe perfectly illustrates the truth in this text. And it's the story of the prophet Elisha. Where his city was being attacked by a Syrian army. And in this story, the Syrians came and they surrounded the city. And their army was so great that Elisha's servant was overwhelmed. He looked at what was about to happen to the city and he said, Alas, my master Elisha, what shall we do? I mean, it's hopeless, it's over. We're done for. The Syrians are too great. And Elisha said to a servant, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And when Elisha prayed that prayer, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, those those horses and those chariots of fire were always there to fight for the man of God and to work with great power for the people of God. What Elisha prayed is that his servant's eyes would be opened to see the spiritual realities that were all around him. And what Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus is that the Holy Spirit would do the same thing. Open their eyes so that they would see the immeasurable power of God working in their lives. Open their eyes so that they may see the measurable power of God that is with them at work. Open their eyes so that they may see the immeasurable power of God that is with them in their marriages. Open their eyes so that they may see the measurable power of God that will be with the Czech team as they minister the gospel in these next few weeks. Open their eyes so they would see that the immeasurable power of God is greater. It is greater than any circumstance, any trial that we will ever face. And when our eyes are open to see the measurable power of God, which is working in our lives, and we will be released from Doubting Castle. We will have our hearts brought to confidence and faith in the Lord. We will go forward with faith and not by walking by sight. For we understand that the might of the power of God is working for us, not against us. Is this reality true in your life? If not, you need to pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, parents, can you go to your child, and you're shepherding your child, and and sometimes you're just discouraged because they're not getting it. You're trying to teach them the gospel. You're trying to, you're trying to just shepherd their heart. You're trying to correct them. You're trying to Encourage them in any way and you just feel you're not effective. Can you go into that situation and just be that the immeasurable power of God is with me, and that God is working for me, not against me. So I'm going to shepherd this child. I'm going to teach this child the gospel. I will not give up because God's power is with me. You know what different people we would be if the Spirit opened our eyes to see this glorious truth. What different people we would be if we could see the measurable power of God working for us. And if you're saying, Dan, I still don't feel very powerful. If you're saying, Dan, I just still don't feel very strong. Saying, Dan, I prayed for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I still feel weak. I still feel overwhelmed. I still feel that life is burdensome. Then may I encourage you with the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You're saying Dan I don't feel strong at all I feel weak I feel crushed I feel afflicted they may say to you that that is exactly the place God wants you because that is where you will be the cleanest vessel for his power to flow through because God's power does not flow through self-righteous self-sufficient containers God's power flows through the weak and the afflicted. And so Paul says, I want the eyes of your heart to be opened so that you would see the measurable greatness of his power toward us. And then he goes on to give three graphic illustrations of the measurable power of God. And I'm just going to give these to you really quickly. I'm going to run through these Uh, Very In a concise way, we could spend weeks on this, but let me just give this to you in one package because I want you to get this entire package this morning. Paul gives three graphic illustrations of the measurable power of God, and they all have to do with what God has done in Christ. First of all, the measurable power of God is what resurrected Jesus from the grave. Verse 20, he says that this is according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When you look at the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, you're looking at the immeasurable power of God working in Christ. And what Paul's point in this passage is not just look at the resurrection, but look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and know that that same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power working in your life today. So the first illustration is the resurrection of Jesus. The second illustration is the exaltation of Jesus. Verse 20, He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. Paul's point in this passage is that God raised Jesus from the grave and after He raised Him from the grave, He seated Him in heaven. Jesus ascended to the right hand of His Father where He rules and He reigns over all authorities and this is a graphic illustration of the power that is working in every believer in Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, and then in verse 22, we have the union of Jesus with his church. He says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. After God raised Jesus from the grave and exalted him to the right hand of the Father. What, God, what Paul says in this text is not that God gave Jesus to be the head of the church. That is true. That is not what Paul is saying in this text. What Paul is saying in verse 22 is that God gave Jesus who is the head of all things as a gift to the church. What Paul is saying in verse 22 is that Jesus Christ, this exalted, risen, ascended, sovereign, King of kings and Lord of Lord who presently rules over all things has been given to the church to be in union with the church, so that all of his sovereign authority in this world is exercised for the benefit of the church. Everything that is happening in the world today, from elections, to economies, to rulers, ascended and rulers being dethroned. Everything going on in the world today is being ruled by Christ for the sake of the church. All things are being worked together for the good of the church, for the good of those who love God and who have been saved by him. And so Paul says in verse 23 that the church is his body and he is the fullness. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That last phrase is just an amazing conclusion to an amazing prayer by the apostle Paul. Where Paul says that in some awesome way, the church is the fullness of Christ. The church is the complement of Christ in such a way that Christ considers himself to be, dare I say it, incomplete without the church that he loves. Not in an ontological sense, not in the, in his being or his essence. We know that Christ is complete; he is sufficient in and of himself. But just as a husband would look at a wife and say, "I'm not complete." unless I'm with you. Or just as a head would look at a body and say, I am not complete unless we are united. Or just as the vine would look at the branches and say, I am not complete unless I have you. So Jesus, in his infinite condescension and love, looks at the church, and he considers the church the fullness of him. fullness of him though he is the one who fills all in all what we need Cornerstone Bible Church what we need this morning and this summer is a sense of the weight of the glory that are found in these truths a subjective Weight of glory upon our hearts that is derived from the objective content of the Word. What we need is not only the inspiration of the Spirit who has given to us the Word of God and who has breathed out the Scriptures, but what we also need is the illumination of the Spirit to open our eyes to see these spiritual realities. Oh, brothers and sisters, Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray for the things that burden the heart of Paul? Will you pray for your soul? Will you pray for our church? Will you pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Let's bow together in prayer and let's give God praise for this time. Heavenly Father, there is a there is a weight of glory that are found in these truths that human words are inadequate to fully convey or to communicate. There is a wonder that ought to strike our hearts when we consider the hope to which we've been called, the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints, the measurable greatness of your power working in us. Yet, Lord, we confess that so often we are spiritually dull. We are hard of hearing. We settle for mere intellectual knowledge. When the Spirit desires to transform our lives, Lord, would you grant us the ministry of the Holy Spirit Would you impact each heart this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you do what I, as a preacher, cannot do, which is to enlighten the eyes of our hearts to understand spiritual reality? And Lord, I pray for any saint this morning who's here this morning and maybe he or she is in Doubting Castle this morning, fighting the giant of despair, or would you open the eyes of their heart to see that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. To see that the measurable power of God working in us is greater than any trial or circumstance we will ever face. Lord Jesus, we exalt you for you are the risen king. We pray that we may bow before your lordship and your supremacy in our lives and we give you thanks for this time that we've been able to spend in your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.